You're listening to the Lompoc Foursquare Church Podcast. How are you when it comes to waiting? Waiting. You know, the IQ is intelligent quotient. How are you in the PQ, patient quotient? You doing good with that? How are you when you're at a red light and it takes a long time? And it finally goes green and the person is accelerator challenged. Huh? How are you when you are waiting for an answer? Or how are you when you go see the doctor and you're in the (laughs) waiting room? Which is another word for patient room or patience. Little boy was going fishing with his dad. He could hardly sleep the night before. They got their car packed up. Dad told his son, he said, son, we're going to be at the lake in about two and a half hours. And you know what happened every three to four minutes, right? Dad, are we there yet? Yeah, are we there yet? And finally, the dad was fed up with the questions from his son. And he said, listen, son, ask any more questions and we're going to turn around and go home and not go fishing. 20 minutes later, Son said, Dad, could, could I ask you one more question? And he said, only one more. Will I still be four when we start fishing? <laughs> and we can chuckle at that, but the truth of the matter is a lot of us have a hard time waiting. John Ortberg, pastor and author, he says that we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. That doesn't mean that we will never be busy. Jesus had a lot to do but he never did it in a way that severed his life-giving connection between him and his father. He never did it in a way that interfered in giving love when love was called for, and he never did it in a way that caused him to treat someone as an interruption. Jesus was busy, but he was never hurried. So how do you have patience when you're in a hurry? Hmm. Driving home on Friday, I mean, I got to tell you, It was pouring down rain, some of the worst rain I'd ever driven in. And a lot of people had no patience. Interesting, I was listening to KNX Radio, 1070 AM, out of Los Angeles. Every five minutes, we give you the weather and traffic. I thought, that's the station I need to listen to. And I heard the announcer come on talking about the 101. His name is Bob Brill. I don't know if you ever heard of him. Bob Brill was in my first church in Somar. Yeah, I was a young pastor, 22, and Bob Brill was there. It was kind of cool. I'm listening to Bob while I'm leaning forward. The wipers are on full blast, and every time a semi came by, I couldn't see a thing. Seriously. And Bob Brill said, if you're out on the roads, you absolutely have to be on the roads. Be patient. Please be. He kept saying the word patient. I go, Bob, do you remember me? How stupid was that? It was the radio. (laughs) I said, Bob, that's going to be Sunday sermon. Because if we're talking about the pathways to growth, we're talking about love, joy, peace, and the next one is patience, or some of you may have memorized it this way, long suffering. Doesn't patience sound nicer than long suffering? Long suffering, or to suffer long, or to suffer for a long time. Psalm 37.7 says, be still. Before the Lord and wait how? Patiently for him. And do not fret or worry. 
uh, Dan Stewart, who did such a masterful job last week from our Bible college, Life Pacific, he, he shared with us that hurry and worry are the two great diseases of our time. And in our hurry, when you're trying to get where you want to go or have what you want to have, or while uh, John Mayer, the great theologian, says you're waiting on the world to change, you know? Or Tom Petty, the great theologian, says the waiting is the hardest part. Three people know who Tom Petty is. Yeah, you're afraid to admit you listen to secular radio in church. I got it. <laughs> Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the and be strong. Which means literally, not just like strong spiritually, but, but stand your ground. God's not coming through the way I want him to come through or the answer to my prayer isn't happening in my timing, but I'm going to stand my ground because I know the promises of God are true. And then he says, take heart, which literally means don't let your emotions fall apart. It's not happening. It's, hey, you're not doing what I want, Lord. And you start to fall apart emotionally. And then he says, you just, you just wait, 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 wait for the Lord. A few weeks ago, we looked at 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, and we also call it the weed chapter. And uh, you got to be careful when you say weed, right? But the weed, the weed chapter, where these weeds are found there. He says, you love, but don't envy. You, you love, but love doesn't boast. Love is not prideful or it's haughty or rude or dishonoring or self-seeking. So if we're talking about patience, patience, long-suffering, uh, and this is audience participation. And remember, I've got drummer's ears, so you've got to speak loudly. Uh, what would be a weed that we would have to pull out of the garden of our soul in regards to patience? What would be a, 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 an anti-patient thing? Okay, what would be a, a weed? Anybody? Pride? Rushing? Negative thoughts? Yeah, like while you're waiting, you could have negative thoughts. God must not care for me. Huh? I didn't hear that. No faith. Absolutely. I've lost my faith. Thank you, Chad, for helping me. Pride. Pride is this. I know better than you, Lord. I make all things beautiful, God, in my time. That's not the way the verse reads. He makes all things beautiful in his time. I know more than you know, Isaiah 40. Who, who, who counsels God? Who's even worthy to step up to the throne and say, Lord, I know more than... See? So when it comes to patience, and this is a hard one for us, we have to stop and be able to say, Lord, I want the fruit of the Spirit in my life. As we saw the nine attributes in Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. In other words, you can do as much of it as you want. You can be as kind to people as you want. You don't need to pray, Lord, should I be good? You don't even need to pray that prayer. Just be good. Lord, should I show self-control? Do you think it's your will that I'm self-controlled? No, it, 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 it is his will. Just, just go for it. Um, I looked up different definitions of the word patience uh, and one person had written this, and this will apply to our wonderful people at Team Vandenberg. Um, it's the ability to count down before you blast off. I, yeah, you won't be using that, I know. To be patient is you're, you're the water that never boils. 
could take a long time to boil. To be patient is something we can talk about, but it's difficult to live. But it comes from two Greek words, which literally means to suffer, to go through pain and do it for a long period of time or a prolonged period of time. To endure, to delay your wrath and your vengeance. Your wife says something and you want to retaliate. Huh? You want to go rogue or ballistic on her. And patience says, I'm going to delay my wrath. I'm going to delay my response. It's like God who is long-suffering. By the way, all of you know that whatever we said or did this week, God could have opened up the earth and swallowed us alive. But because of his grace and mercy and because of the cross of Jesus, he chooses not to. But he has the power and the right and his righteousness to do that. But God is long-suffering. He's slow to wrath, the Bible says. Think about how many times God has been patient with you. I thought about it in the car. Bob Brill, the word of the day is patient. Be patient. I said, oh, thanks, Bob. I'm going to be patient today. I'm going to let all these drivers come through and get through the line. And, you know, and some people just going 80 miles an hour. And I, I saw, no exaggeration, 11 cars between San Dimas and Simi Valley, 11 cars hydroplane and turn around and go sideways. And they all had this look on their face like, what happened? (laughs) Well, you were going 80 in the most amount of water coming down in 20 years. The little Ventura River was seven feet in the morning and it was 19 feet by night. The Lompoc River, we call it it Lompoc. They call it San Diego River. For us, it's the Lompoc River. There's water. It's flowing. It's like, whoa. And and, and one guy said to me yesterday, he said, you know what? My kids, they're old enough now to know it, and they haven't seen it flow before. I said, what did you do? We drove by the bridge seven times so they could see it. (laughs) And guess what the kids wanted to do? Don't go in it. Yeah, because our first responders will have to come get you. Boy, and thank God for police and fire and CHP and Caltrans and tow truck drivers and a power company people that are just out there when this kind of stuff happens. So, Lewis Meads wrote this. He says, waiting is our destiny. You want to know what your destiny is? Wait. As creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for, we wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending that we cannot write. And we wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. Sometimes God says yes, sometimes he says no, and then sometimes he says wait. Ouch. Waiting. You can write this down, is the hardest work of hope. Israel waits for a promise of the Messiah. 700 years, Isaiah prophesies that Jesus is coming. Abraham waits. He's 75 years old. God gives him a promise and says, you are going to be the father of many nations. And he has to wait 24 years. Just think about that. You just wait, hold on here, and you, Lord, it's year one, it's year two, it's year three, it's year four, it's year, 
I have to wait 24 years for the promise to happen? I wonder how many people just check out from faith in God because a promise doesn't come through in their timetable. Or people just say, well, you know, like Dan Stewart talked about last week, well, I tried this Christianity thing, but I never really came to Christ and gave him my life and surrendered my pride to him. See, waiting is, is about control, isn't it? When, when, when a friend or, or your wife or your husband or your son or daughter go into the market while you wait in the parking lot, you have no control. You're looking at your watch, you're texting them, what are you doing? Well, I'm just in here checking out the cantaloupe to see the best one. Hurry up! Just get one! Right? Well, there's all these choices of milk, and I don't know which one to get. Is it the 2%? Is it the... This one says expires in three days, but this says three months. What do I get? This is organic. This is kind of organic. This is free-range eggs. This is organic eggs. This is best fed eggs. This is, I don't know, these are $40 eggs. And you're like in the car, hurry up. And listen, you have no control when they're coming out because then they're going to go into the 12 items or less and the guy in front of them is going to have 46 or they're, or, or they're going to get to the to part of the store and all of a sudden there's only two checkers there and 80 people, to, come on. You've never had this happen to you? This happened to me the other day. Now listen, you have no control. If you're married, you have no control over when your spouse is going to make significant change in their life. You have no control. Well, my husband, he need, you have no control. Waiting on the world, on the hubby to change. I'm just waiting. He won't change, Pastor B. And I got to wait. You guys don't know, I get those emails. Don't tell him. Israel's waiting for the Messiah to change their world. And when he arrives, John 1 says he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't even recognize him. They had 700 years of prophecy to get it right. And when he shows up, they don't believe it's him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not even receive him. And then, aren't you glad Jesus comes, born of a virgin? What a miracle. And he waits 30 years to start his ministry. Come on, Lord, do something. You've been here 30 years. And his ministry lasts three years. And then he dies, and he's dead for three days, and his followers freak out. Three days. I mean, if you had to wait more than three days, you know? Pregnancy lasts longer than three days, nine months. Come on. God bless you pregnant moms. This too shall come to pass. And dads, be nice to them. They're going to push out a human being. Come on. I love a guy recently said, yeah, look, look what I did. My son. <laughs> yeah, buddy, you did a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Three days, the disciples are freaking out. And if you read in John 20, they're locked in a room. They have surveillance. They have, uh, you know, the, the 30th security forces are there outside. I mean, they're afraid they're going to die next. 
They saw him do miracle after miracle. They heard his promises. They ate with Jesus, folks. They touched Jesus. I didn't believe him. I had to wait three days. And then, and then he rises from the dead, and he's doing his post-resurrection ministry. And I love this part. The disciples go, now, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom now? Are we going to get everything we want now? And he says, you can read it in Acts 1.8. He says, um, <clears throat> stay in Jerusalem and wait on the Holy Spirit. Are you kidding me? Wait is all over the Bible. It's everywhere. And if that weren't enough, you can go to the last book of the Bible. Actually, 43 times in the Old Testament, the people of Israel are commanded to wait on the Lord. 43 times. Why? Because they're thick-headed. They don't get it. And you go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation 22, 12, says, Jesus, look, I'm coming soon. John has this vision of heaven, and he sees Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm coming soon. And don't you want to know what soon means? Like 2,000 plus years, and we're still waiting? Wait, wait, are we waiting? By the way, some of you don't know the theology, but when Jesus left this planet, he said, I'm coming again. I, I will come and take you back to myself. That's, that's the second coming of Jesus Christ. And you want to say, are you kidding? Then you read down in Revelation 22, 20, he who testifies these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. And then the answer is, so, so come, come, Lord Jesus. John says, come. Even so, Lord, some versions say this, even so, Lord, come quickly. And Jesus says, um, what does quickly mean? Lord, I need you to do it now. What does now mean? What does now mean to a God who's eternal, who has no beginning and end, alpha and omega? See, why does God make us wait? You ever ask that question? Just do it now, Lord. We live in the instantaneous. We get information so fast now. And while you're in church, there's news coming across the wire. It's everywhere. And you'll go home and maybe you'll get something out of the fridgey and you'll pop it in the micro and you'll hit the button and it'll come out. Or you'll go through the drive-thru, which is really fast, by the way, but it's never fast enough. And Ben Patterson, uh, he's uh, a chaplain down at Westmont. He says that what, what God does in us while we wait is as important as what we're waiting for. God is trying to build a maturity in us. Moses waits 80 years to lead the people of Israel. Joseph waited 13 years. Countless trials, tribulations. David waits 15 years to become king. Abraham, 24 years for the promise. Moses, 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus waits 30 years, as I already said, to start his public ministry. Jesus waits 40 days in the wilderness as he's tested. And then he tells the disciples to wait. You're in good company when you wait. And by the way, I'll say it at the end of the message if I have time. But if not, I'll say it now. God waits for you. God is patient. Matter of fact, he waits for you on days like today and says, okay, are you going to praise me? If you don't do it, the rocks will cry out, but are you going to praise me? He waits for us to call upon him. By the way, he waits for us to believe in him to have salvation come. God 
wants no one on this planet to perish. Nobody. The people you work with, the people you know, the people that are in the Air Force with you, the people in your school, the people in your neighborhood, yes, even that cantankerous guy at the end of your cul-de-sac or in your apartment complex, he wants everyone to be saved. And yet, here's what he does. He dies and he offers salvation to all of humanity and he waits for a response. He waits. Well, Lord, why don't you just make everybody get saved? Just push them. Because some of you, if you were God, that's what you'd do. You don't know how great my son Jesus is. Receive him now. Boom. And I know some of you. You know? And God, listen, listen. God waits patiently for people to quietly and simple faith say, I believe in you, Jesus. You died on a cross. I want you to be my Savior. I will follow you. And then we make commitments to the Lord like this. I will never let you down, Lord. If you redeem me from this cold that won't go away... If you keep me from the flu this season, Jesus, if you, whatever it is, I promise I will never, ever let you down. And you know that we always fail him somehow. And yet he patiently loves us and redeems us and restores us. So I was trying to find a really good passage that would help us understand waiting. And I found it in Deuteronomy chapter 8. So if you want to turn to one passage, you could turn there. It's also on the screen. Remember how the Lord your God has led you in the desert for these 40 years. You want to talk about waiting. Taking away your what? And what? Testing you. Now catch this. Because he wanted to show you what was in your heart. He wanted to do certain things with the rain coming down to reveal the pothole in your soul. It all ties in, doesn't it? He wants to show the cracks in your being. He wants to show where you want to be in control and not let him have control. He wants to show you where you're prideful or where you're envious or where you're arrogant or where you, as somebody said, have lost your faith and don't trust him anymore. He took away your pride when he let you get hungry and then and then he fed you with manna, what a miracle, which neither you nor your ancestors had ever seen before. This was to teach you that a person doesn't live by eating only bread, but by everything, what? That the Lord says, which is the same exact phrase that Jesus uses when the devil tempts him. I don't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus is connecting with this, this passage we're looking at. Devil, you don't have control. And Jesus, even though he's God in the flesh, he's saying, I don't have control either. But, but he does. And I live by every word that he says and every promise that he says. And he says, uh, during these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out. Another miracle. Your feet did not swell. Know in your heart that the Lord your God corrects you as a parent corrects a child. And you might ask the question, Next time you're in a waiting season, why am I waiting? It's because God is trying to build something in you that will happen no other way. Write this down. We say it a lot around here because God is more concerned with your character than with your comfort. And I don't want to get like all preachy on you or anything. 
But come on, North Americans. North Americans, we like comfort. We like comfort. We like the temperature just right. We, 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 we like the certain amount of cream in our coffee, if you're into that. Uh, we like our meat cooked a certain way. We, we, come on, we like comfort. And God says, I care more about who you're becoming than about you being comfortable. The story of Lazarus kind of unpacks Deuteronomy 8. Lazarus is a friend of Jesus, and he's dead. And his sisters are Mary and Martha. Yeah. And Lazarus is dead how many days? Anybody know? Four days. And the King James says, Lazarus stinketh. The guy is dead, and he's decaying already. And Mary and Martha say this, and I wonder if you've ever said this, if you had not made us wait, this wouldn't have happened. Jesus, why did you wait? Why didn't you come? And we see Jesus weeping before he ever calls Lazarus forth from the dead. We see him crying. There's an emotional connection between him and Lazarus. He's not crying about the pain of Mary and Martha because he knows he's going to take care of that in just a moment. He's crying about the loss of his friend. And some, and some would insert that he's also crying about their lack of faith in Jesus' timing. If you would have been here, this would not have happened. Have you ever said that to the Lord? Have you ever prayed for something that didn't happen? And then you go, so glad it didn't. I've prayed prayers in my life that had God answered them the way I prayed them, they would have ruined me. I've prayed prayers in my life that would have taken me places that were not the will of the Lord. And he shut doors. I go, that's cool. Or I'm sitting with something, someone and something is revealed to me and all the red flags go up. I go, that's really cool, Lord. Thank you for saving me from that. But oh, in the moments of praying, Lord... You know, I'm praying in English, I'm praying in, uh, I, I know a little Italian, I'm praying in tongues, I mean, you name it. You're Lord, and I'm quoting all the scriptures, you know, kind of like missiles into heaven. You know, you said greater things than you, uh, that I'll do, and, and, and you do more abundantly another missile than I ask, kaboom, then I, then I see, kaboom, Jeremiah 33, kaboom, call to me and I'll answer you and show you, so Lord, here I am, where's the answer? Wait. Are you kidding me? Lord, you know how faithful I've been? Pride. But Lord, there's stuff that I know. Arrogance. Keep pulling the weeds, sweetheart. Here's what Jesus says. Just, 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 just catch this. Had I come when you wanted me to come, I would have healed your brother. But since I came when I wanted to arrive, I raised him from the dead. You want to talk about timing? See, had Jesus come and healed Lazarus, they would have said what they already knew. Jesus is a healer. But now they knew something else. And if you read the story, here's what Jesus says. I am the resurrection, come on, and the life. 
Whoever believes in me will not die. You get it? Here's a living illustration. The guy has grave clothes. He comes out doing the Lazarus hop. And they unwrap the grave clothes, and he stops stinking instantaneously. And Mary and Martha got to see that because Jesus has perfect, eternal timing. And we don't. And we don't. Hey, folks, let me ask you a question. Would you rather watch somebody get healed or somebody get raised from the dead? Hmm? Would you rather have Jesus put a Band-Aid on your pothole or come and excavate your soul and transform you? See, the time of waiting in your notes is an opportunity for God to disclose to you more of himself than you have ever known before. And this lesson may not apply to you right now, but I promise someday it will, that if you watch God, he will disclose to you something more of himself as you wait in surrender and say, I am not going to be in control. James 1, 2, and 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and my sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And you know how you get perseverance? You wait. And you keep, listen, and you keep Moving, long obedience in the same direction. You keep moving forward. You keep doing what you know to be right. In order, number one, to grow and be mature in times of waiting, we have to be patient. We've already talked about that. And there's some questions in your folder that you're going to use in your uh, small groups. And if you don't have a small group, then you can do it with someone that you came to church with. And if you didn't come to church with anybody, you can still do it on your own. Answer the questions that's in that, in that uh, flyer there. We must trust God and his timing instead of our own. So on February 23rd, 1987, an astronomer in Chile observed the explosion of a distant supernova, a blast that was so powerful that it released as much energy in a single second than our sun will ever produce in 10 billion with a B years. But that evidence occurred on February 23rd, 1987, only from the perspective of someone on planet Earth. You see, in actuality, scientists tell us that the explosion of that supernova happened 170,000 years ago. And it took that long for the light to come to this Earth at six trillion miles a year. It took 170 thousand years for it to come. Now, now just think about this. Well, your head's smoking when you think about that. The astronomer in Chile says, look what just happened. And God's smiling. Well, actually, it happened 170,000 years ago. But that's okay, Mr. Astronomer, because I knew about you then, and I knew about February 23rd, 1987. Where, where was God when the supernova exploded? He saw it. He was present 170,000 years ago. He was the ever-present now. And on February 23rd, 1987, where was God? The ever-present now. He got to see it from both vantage points. And for 170,000 years at 6 trillion miles 
per year the light was traveling, and he watches it. Woo, look. There it goes. Wow, you go fast. Six trillion miles a year. God said, there it goes. Then God came over and said, well, here it comes. Then God said, from over here, woo, there it went. He's the ever-present now. Does that make sense to you? We live by this thing. I live by that crazy thing. It tells me I got about 10 minutes left. We live by the growling of the tummy. It's starting. I can hear some of it. And God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. You think you're in control. The best use of your control is to give up your control to me. And the best use of your control is to surrender to my son, Jesus, to follow after him because, oh, look, it's a supernova. God says, I was already there when it happened. By the way, all, all the stuff that created the supernova, I created. Now think about this God. Think about your brain, by the way, and I'm not here to insult anybody. But God sees our times of waiting from an infinitely better perspective, and it should be then, than we do. He has a vantage point, folks, that none of us have. I don't have time to tell you about how this building came to be, but I got to tell you, I, I, I went to the city 10 times. They told us no. Not enough parking, not enough land, not 10 Finally, a dear friend of mine said, don't give up. You're supposed to be on this property. Thus saith the Lord. I go, you're nuts. And he whispered to me and he said, go back again. They're gonna... And I came to the counter, the building, and they said, what are you doing here? You got a different project now? I know, same one. And a bony finger from down the hall did like this. It's too long to tell. And he said, listen to what I'm going to say. I said, what? I want to hear it. I was waiting for, if you build it, they will come. I never heard it. He gave me three insightful points that no one else had brought up. And then I started knocking on doors, repeating the three insightful points. And that's why you're sitting in this room. It took a long time, folks, and a lot of waiting, and a lot of generosity by people, and a lot of help from people a lot smarter than me. But I got to tell you something. You can miss things because you get ahead. You can miss things because you say, I, I, I know more. God has a better perspective than we do. Psalm 31, 14, and 15, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. How about this? My times are in your hands. Lord, you know everything about where I'm going. Talked to somebody in the military recently. said, well, I, I, I might get sent here. I could get sent there. I, I might go here. And I just chuckled. I said, God knows. God already knows the church that you're going to go to. God already knows the pastor you're going to be under. God already knows the friends you're going to make. God already knows the ministry you're going to have when you arrive there. And then they said, well, pastor, so where is it? Are you thinking I know? I don't know. 
But if you're going to grow in your patience, here's what I told them. You better pray. You must pray. Duh. No, you must pray. Prayer's hardest when you've prayed before and banged on heaven and it feels like brass. Number two, in order to grow and mature in times of waiting, we need to learn to be humble. We talked about that already. And to wait for someone is to realize that I'm not in control, whether it's a person, whether it's a boss, whether it's a commander, whether it's a pastor to finish the sermon. <laughs> yeah, you're not in control. I guess you could walk out, but anyway. <laughs> Proverbs 3:34. God resists the proud, come on, but gives grace to the humble. And that's what you want in your time of waiting. So I know more than you, Lord. Come on. The average human brain, when a baby is born, weighs 14 ounces. The average human brain. At its maximum size, the brain weighs an average of 46 ounces, slightly less than three pounds. In liquid measurements, that's equal to a 7-Eleven big gulp. Now, many scientists tell us that most people use about 10% of their brain, or the equivalent of the size of a quarter pounder with cheese. Some of you, the size of a McNugget. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Yeah. I was going to say the size of Big Mac, but now they have three sizes, a junior, a regular, and a real Big Mac, which is the size of a Big Mac when they first came out, because everything shrinks over time. The point I'm trying to make is, if we used about 4.6 ounces of our brain matter, who are we to tell God that we know more? Who are we to tell God we know about tomorrow when he's the God of the ever-present now and the God of the future? He can see 100 years from now. And if he delays his return, he can see 170,000 years from now. Here's a great quote, I think. It is guaranteed that you will live frustrated if you need to have every piece of the puzzle and every line of the script. You know who wrote that? Me. No, I didn't want to put my name up there. That's kind of arrogant. But I wrote that in my journal. I wrote, Bernie, you will be frustrated if you need to have every piece of the puzzle and then it's numbered on the back, tells you where to put them, and every line of the script. That's why they call it faith. That's why they call it waiting. That's why Ecclesiastes of Solomon was so smart in Ecclesiastes 8.17, no one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. You can Google it all day long and you still won't know. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even the wise claim that they know, they cannot really comprehend it. So a couple of points, we're not going to unpack them, but you will in your small groups if you're in a part of one. Wait patiently. Psalm 37.7, wait patiently. Wait quietly. In other words, don't get all agitated and don't lose your rest. Rest in Christ. 
Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened or heavy laden. I will give you rest, even in your waiting. And then the last one is wait expectantly. Psalm 105.5, I wait expectantly, trusting God to help, for he has promised. And last thing, number three, in order to grow and mature in times of waiting, we need to possess hope. And hope is a result of obedience. Hope is built when I know that I'm doing the right thing during times where I have to wait. I don't get ahead of God, I wait. Hope is the result of faithfulness from obeying God even in the midst of long period of waitings. You can read uh, this week, Romans 5, 3 to 5, where Paul says perseverance produces character and character hope. You think it would be the other way around where, where, where hope starts and then we persevere. No, it's, it's by persevering and not giving up. Character is produced. And we recognize what God is producing us, then there's a, a byproduct of hope in our lives. Faithful obedience to God shows us that hope emerges from the struggle. I'm going to end with uh, this quote by Thomas Merton, the writer, of course, of, uh, of Amazing Grace. He said, we receive enlightenment only in proportion as we give ourselves more and more completely to God by humble submission and love. We do not first see, then act. We act, then see. We do not wait for God to move, then we become obedient. We become obedient, and then we watch God move. And that is why the man who waits to see clearly before he will believe will never start the journey. If you're a boat in the dock and you've got to see everything about the seas, you'll never leave. If you've got a God who has to show you every step of the way of, of your marriage, of your journey, of your career before you step out in faith, you'll never step out. But if you just obey him and follow hard after him, he has amazing things for you. God waits for us. If you don't know Christ, he waits for you. If you haven't prayed in a long time, he's waiting for you. And if you're in a season of waiting, he's still with you. God is always active on your behalf, and he never stops working. The good work he's begun in you, he will continue, even when you think he's not doing anything. He's up to something, and the something he's up to is building something deep in you. Amen? Thank you for listening to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. To find out more about Lompoc Foursquare Church or to watch us live online, please visit mylfc.com.